Good morning. Wow, this place echoes when it's empty, doesn't it? But you've made it, and I'm so proud of you uh, being here. And um, I don't want to disturb where you're sitting, but if you want to all come into the middle, that would be great too. But uh, if you're comfortable, stay where you are, all right? But it's great to welcome you to Riverside on this snowy morning. And uh, for those who are, are watching online, we have had the worst snow of the winter so far. And, um, and so our numbers are a little depleted, but uh, the faithful few are here, and uh, we've opened the doors for the glory of God. Amen? <laughs> Praise God. Well, if you are here or you're watching online, you join us on the first week of a new series of uh, talks that we're going to be doing all based around the book of James. And this morning, if you're following, you would turn to James chapter 1, and we're just going to deal with verses 1 through 4. I'll read those verses a little later. Um, but as we come to this series, we've called it Keeping It Real, and um, because the book of James um, is wonderfully frightening. In fact, many scholars of the past don't like the book of James, and, and there are even those who feel it shouldn't be in the Bible. But I thank God it's there, because it's a truthful book, and it's very, very wonderful. It's a book that is really down to earth. It gets down where you are. It meets you where the rubber hits the road, as they would say. And, um, and, and it's challenging in all its aspects. You see, the fact is, is... This book is not so much about what you believe, it's about how what you believe is affecting the way you live. It's how you now take what you believe and you see that happening in your life. It's not so much about what you have in your head, it's about what in your head now causes you to live your life like. So what you get in your head now affects your lifestyle, it now affects the way that you walk into life, and it's a wonderful book. I don't know whether you know it, but James, who wrote this book, was the half-brother of Jesus, um, half-brother because, of course, Jesus didn't have an earthly father. The fact is, his father was God, and the fact was he was born and conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so James is the half-brother of Jesus. His father was Joseph, and, um, of course, uh, he was one that, uh, how, how many would like to be the brother of Jesus, and um, know that Jesus never did a thing wrong. He never got into trouble. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it must have been a real challenge for his brothers. But the fact was that um, he came to a place of putting faith in what his brother came to do. And uh, the fact is that he found faith in Jesus Christ. And so the book of James is a book about values, it's also a book about reality. It's a book about trials. It, it's a book about the battles of life. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. It tells us exactly it as it is. It, it's a book about disappointments. It deals with the area of disappointments that come into our lives. And it's a book about challenges that we rise to. Uh, and we have the opportunity of seeing great things happen as we rise to the challenge. 
Um, and I would suggest this morning that even with this smaller crowd that are here, there is at least someone here this morning who can say, well, I'm going through at least one of those things right now. I, I'm facing challenges or I'm facing disappointments or I'm in the place uh, of a trial that's happening in my life. In fact, I talked to somebody uh, before service uh, and, and who's facing an enormous trial and we prayed together about it. Uh, and it's something that's happening in life that that is causing a major trial in his life. You see, uh, as you look at the book of James, I have to warn you of this, that whatever you're going through, he is not about to throw a pity party for you. <laughs> the fact is that he faces these things head on. And, and he says, I, I'm not going to come to uh, pity you. I'm not going to come and just try to get you through this. And No, he's going to tell us it as it is. And the fact was, he was writing this book because um, he was looking at the church of his day, and, and he was seeing the stuff that was happening in the church of his day, and he came to the conclusion that this is not the church that my fa- brother gave his life for. This is not the church that my brother laid down his life on the cross for. Things had now drifted. Things had got sloppy. Things had got to a place that they were now in the place of looking and saying, this is not the church that Jesus died for. And uh, I, I have to tell you that this book of James, it has held its credibility Not only in the time when James wrote it to the church that he was writing to, but it kept its credibility through every generation. Because in every generation, this book has come alive to a church that has slipped further away from where it was intended to be. And the fact is that now it has become less of what Jesus intended it to be. And, um, and, and when he hung on the cross and died, his vision of what was going to happen in every generation was not coming to pass in every generation at certain times. And the book of James comes alive uh, in a generation of people who have become less than what they were intended to be. And James says, I can't keep silent about this. We are meant to be more than what we have become is what he is saying. And the fact is that that comes right into the generation in which we find ourselves. You see, in in James's generation, the church had slipped into religion. Now, you wouldn't have been around Riverside very long before knowing that um, I've often said that religion stinks. Uh, All right, Jesus never came to set up religion. He came to bring us into a relationship with God. You see, someone who says that religion is man's attempt to reach God, whereas Christianity is God reaching down to mankind. And so it is that now James comes and and he he begins to speak into this whole situation that was happening in the church. The message of the gospel is that God reaches down through his son to right where we are at. He is desperate to bring us into a relationship with himself. If there is sin, then the fact is he will forgive sin. If there is obstacles, he'll remove the obstacles. 
The fact is, if there is a gap between God and man, he'll bridge that gap, even if it means his son dying on the cross in order to bridge the gap between mankind and God. God's attitude towards you and his attitude towards me is the attitude that says whatever it takes in order to bring you to a place where I am in a relationship with you, I am willing to do it. And the fact is that he has already done more than enough for us to be in a relationship with him by sending his son who died on the cross, who rose again from the dead and is able to live in our lives today. God has done everything that needs to be done. You see, the fact is, James knew that religion makes you proud, and religion uh, now causes you to be in a place where you become fake. Religion will take you to a place where you pretend to be right when you're not, and, and religion will take you to a place where you will forget where you came from. Uh, you know, as one writer put it, that you'll forget the hole that you were dug out of and, and now you get proud and think that you can live this life on your own means and by your own efforts. But the fact is this, that we can't. Religion will make you obnoxious to people who don't know God. It will cause you to be in a place where people don't want anything to do with religion Because they're not seeing that you're in a relationship. They see that you've just got a load of religion. And the fact was that James was seeing all these things in his church of his day. He saw that creeping into the church was discrimination. Creeping into the church was hypocrisy. Creeping into the church, he saw gossip happen. He saw people that were now not keeping their word. He saw that there was a lack of trust in Jesus when they were facing the obstacles of life. He saw a lack of people living the mission of Jesus to reach other lost people and to bring them into the kingdom. He he saw a lack of concern for the poor and the broken. And he said, this is not the church that my brother died for. You see, what James brings out in his book is this, is that character counts. Let me say that again. Character counts. And so he brings it out, and I need to tip you off before you dive into this book. James doesn't mince his words about this. And why he's written it, The premise of the book is that God is more interested in building your character than he is with providing you with a comfortable life. The fact is that he's more interested in who you are becoming than than he is in just uh, being there as a messenger boy that you can run to in a time of emergency. You know, the Apostle Paul puts it right. He said this in uh, Romans 8, 29 in the Message Bible. It says, tells us that uh, it has always been God's intention that those who surrender their lives to him be changed into the character of the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who live, uh, love him along the same lines of the life of his son. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him, in Jesus And so it is that James is saying it's God's intention that we become remarkable people. 
that it is that he will be the one that is stamping the image of his son upon our lives, that we are becoming more and more and more like Jesus as we surrender more and more of our lives to him. You see, this is the fact concerning you and concerning me. It is God's intention, it is God's desire that we become courageous like Jesus was. It's God's intention that it will be that we will be people who, although courageous, will be as gentle and loving as Jesus was. It is his intention that we will live a life that is righteous, that is doing what we know to be right according to the Word of God. It's God's intention that we be as tender as Jesus was. It's God's intention that we be as loving as Jesus was. It's God's intention that we be as compassionate as Jesus Jesus was. He wants his image stamped into our lives. And he wants the characteristics of Jesus to be imprinted in our lives so that we become different than what we were before we came to know him. So that now knowing Jesus Christ, we long for more of him. And the more we know of him, the more like him we become. And as James points out in this book, Uh, He wants every single believer to be like Jesus. That it is that we will be stamped with the image of Christ upon our lives. In effect, James is suggesting that God is saying, I am more concerned that my people are people with character traits of my son than I am that they have a happy, comfortable, and contented existence. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are God's workmanship. How many many here this morning have said, over the last weeks I've felt God's hand working in my life. We've seen some remarkable things happen. And you can say, I just felt that God was working something in my life. It was beyond my efforts. It was God working in my life. And the fact is that that's where surrender comes in, where we say, God, I can't make myself who I should be, but I am willing to allow you to make me who I should be. And as we surrender to him, so he opens up the way for that to happen. It is that uh, Paul is saying in that we are his workmanship. It is that God is the artist. And as we allow him, he will work on our lives and fashion us like an artist to be in the image of his son. You know, the fact is that his reputation as an artist, it, it rests in how much we will allow him to work in our lives. So that now as I surrender to him and I say, I want you to make me, I want you to mold me, I want you to now make me into the image of what you want me to be. He now goes to work on our lives and he works to make us into the image of his son. It is that the pattern that he's following, the model that he's following is none other than his son, Jesus Christ. He says, I want to fashion you according to the image of my son. And so he wants us to be like Jesus. He wants us to be his masterpieces that he's working on to make us like his son. He wants us to reflect Christ's image to a dying world. He wants people around us to see something has happened on the inside of us. Do you know what the acid test of spirituality is? You know what, if you boil it right down, the acid test of what spiritual 
uh, spirituality is. Do you know what, what it is that you can look and say that now there is something growing inside of you that is spiritual and it's making you more spiritual? It is that you answer the question, am I concerned about who Jesus is seeking to make me like? Am I concerned about the work of the Father God in my life to make me into the images of his Son? Am I concerned about becoming more and more like Jesus? A sign of your spirituality is that there's something inside that is saying, I want to be like Jesus. Oh yeah, it's not a sense of I've got to do this because I'm going to get good marks, good points if I do this and God will be proud of me. It's not a case of saying I'm going to do this because if I don't, God's going to beat me up and rub my face in the dirt. It's not a case of that. It's a case of saying I'm so in love with Jesus. I am so in love with Father God that I want him to make me into the image of his son. I want to be like Jesus. I I love him so much, I want to be like him. And so a sign of your spirituality is this. How much am I wanting to be like Jesus? How willing am I for him to change my life? I ask myself the question often, am I as concerned about character formation in my life as God is? Because God is concerned that we are changed into the image of his son, that we bear the characteristics of his son. And so I ask myself, oh God, how concerned am I about that? After following you for over 50 years, am I still concerned about the fact that there are still areas of my life that still need changing to be like your son? How concerned are we that we want him to move in our lives? You see, it may be... That as in James's day, the people that in the church that James was writing to, they'd become sloppy. And they weren't even living to the place that they were a few years before. They had fallen from the place of where they were to a sloppy kind of Christianity. It is that now they had drifted to a place where their character had retracted. They weren't even where they used to be, and, and they'd retracted, and, and now we, they had become less than they were intended to be. And how many know that that can happen? We can think we're okay when we're not okay. And the enemy can fool us and say, you are, you're better than so-and-so and you're more faithful than so-and-so and you're more committed than so-and-so. And now we begin to measure ourselves not by what God wants for us, but by what people, other people are living their lives. He said, I want you to keep your eyes on me. I want you to be drawn after what I want for your life. I don't want you to be content with where you're at. See, um... I personally feel that the, the church, the Western church, and bring a little nearer home, the church in America is at a crisis stage right now. I believe that we're at a place right now that we can feel that we're where we should be when we're not where we should be. I'm told that there are between 55 and 60 million born-again Christians living in America today. 55 to 60 million born-again 
Christians living in America today. So how many will agree with me there's no shortage of Christians? Yeah, There's no shortage of Christians. At, at least going by those figures, there's no shortage of Christians. And, um, and, and, and how many would agree? I, I don't think that there's a shortage of talent. I, I, I think we have many talented people. Uh, and, and, and so you've got this 55 to 60 million Christians that are living in America today, and, and, and there's no shortage of their talented people, their educated people. But, but the fact is this, I feel that the crisis that we have is that there's a huge shortage of Christian character. There's a huge shortage of people who are being molded to be like Jesus. And, and, and so it now gets to a place that um, when you're outside of the church building, it's very often very difficult to find Christians that are any different in their lifestyles to everyone else that's living out there in the world. How many have heard this sometime or another? If that's what being a Christian is, I don't want it. How many have heard, I'll never do business with a Christian businessman or businesswoman? There's a huge shortage of Christian character. It's a character crisis. And um, it goes from the top to the bottom, right through the Christian church, it seems that there's this shortage of character. People who live according to the Word of God and according to the image that Christ is seeking to make us and the loss of desire to be like Jesus causes that crisis to increase. And so James says, hey, I'm sorry, but I can't keep silent about this. I can't keep quiet about this. I've got to speak out about this because this is just not the church my brother gave his life for. And so he goes now deeper and he takes us into what's known as character school. He said, let's get practical about this. He said, there's a problem and it's a character crisis, so let's deal with the character crisis. And, and so that's all that I've said to you right now is an introduction to verses 1 through 4. Now you're thinking, he's going to be here till the next snow comes. But listen, no, we're coming to our final point here, but I had to give you that background so that you would see what this book is all about. Listen to what verses 1 through 4 of James chapter 1 says. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, let me stop there a moment. I think that's wonderful. How many know, how many know if he wanted to score some points here, he would say, James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? And, and, and he would take the moment for pride to stand out and say, you better listen to me, I'm the half-brother of Jesus Christ. No, but what he says is this, James, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, if you want to know who I am, I'm just a slave to Jesus Christ. I'm just a slave to God. That's what the word bondservant means. It means that I'm a slave to God. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 
But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He said, you may not want to hear this, church. He says, but you need to know it. That God's main way of building character is in the school of hard knocks. (laughs) That's good news, isn't it? (laughs) James is saying when you are facing trials, when you're going through disappointments, when you are overcoming temptations, when it is that you are facing challenges that are bigger than you, when you are at the place when you are enduring hardships, when you are in the place when you are persevering through your worries, when you're in the place where you are facing absolute heartbreak. He says, in those places, he says, in those places, and this is what he says, rejoice. He says, be glad, rejoice when adversity comes your way. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind. Uh, I, I, there, are, there are some people here who have been Christians for a little while. Uh, and and l- let me just ask you this question. How many have found that um, in your hardest times is where God has changed you the most? It's when you're going through the greatest difficulties that there's this molding taking place. And although you don't enjoy going through, you look back and, I say, and say, thank God. I thank God I went through that. I thank God that I went through it because he's changed me in the process. You see, I wish it wasn't the case. You wish it wasn't the case, but it is the case. That it's through great difficulties that we inherit the kingdom, the Bible says. And, and so we are persevering through. We don't quit. We don't give up. We persevere and we trust the Lord. And, and it is that hardship comes and difficulty comes, but we trust the Lord. Because we know, we know there is no gain without pain. Well, you, you, you do really know that. Well, we all wish we could lose weight without diet and exercise, don't we? And we're all looking for the super drug that'll do that. And, and, and we all wish we could improve our muscle tone without having to lift weights and, and, and without having to do exercises. And, and talk to anyone that's going through school right now. They would say they would wish that they could become educated without going through college and going through school. How many know you've heard your kids say that at some time or other? You see, we'd love to be educated without having to read and study and learn. We all wish we could be sailors without leaving the safety of the harbor. And, and, and the fact is, We wish that we could become chairman of the board without starting at the bottom. But the fact is that there is no gain without pain. And you need to know the Christian life is about that also. The fact is this, that 
Christianity and the character building of Christianity happens when we're going through extreme circumstances, when we're going through stuff that in our former life we would have run away and hid ourselves or we would have done something vile. The fact is that every time you persevere and you say, no, God is at work in me. God is working. He is making me. He is molding me. And he has an end in mind. And and every time you say, I'm going to persevere, it's a slap in the face of the devil because the devil has told God that if you are under any pressure and if you're going through any circumstances, undoubtedly you will quit the Christian faith. You'll go back to your old life. But every time you persevere, you are saying to the devil, you're a loser. God's a winner. And I'm hanging in on God. I'm going to trust God to bring me through. You see, the fact is, There's no Easter Sunday without a Good Friday, is there? Jesus had to die in order that he would be raised from the dead. There's no gain without pain, not even for our Savior. And and James, he comes and looks at it from the bright side, and he says, listen, I'm writing to you because I believe we can solve the character crisis. He said, I believe, I believe that those of us who are in the church, that now we can solve the character crisis. Uh, the thrust of the book, as you read through the book of James, uh, you will see that he sees a church that is in so much immaturity. He is seeing a church that's in so much instability. He is seeing a church where there is so much inconsistency. There is a church where there's so much division and so much discrimination, so much rumors and hypocrisy. And he basically says, church, hey, we've got to grow up. We've got to become who Jesus wants us to be. And we've got to leave those things that are left over things from our past life and now go for what God wants. And God wants us to grow up and to be in the image of his son. He says we have to grow up. We have to grow some character. Let me do a test here. How many of you have been to this altar And you've made a surrender of your life to Jesus. Uh, Or you've recommitted your life to Jesus at some time or another. And and, and you've given your life totally over to God. How many of you will be honest with me and say, yeah, I remember doing that. I remember coming to the altar. I remember surrendering. I remember recommitting. And you better know it, John. From that moment, all hell broke loose against me. How many can say that? Yeah, you you know, I I know it's a wonderful life, but I've got to be honest. The minute that I surrendered totally to God, the minute that I surrendered my life to him, the minute that I said, I'm yours and I want to be made into the image of your son, all hell seemed to break loose against you. How many found that things didn't go the way that you thought they would? And unexpected things began to happen that you seem to have had no control of. It, it seemed that the, the pressure switch had been turned up and there was 
heat coming into your life that you'd not had before. And, and, and you found that in your marriage and in your family and, and in your work life that things begin to happen that you never expected and came out of the blue. And now you're in the midst of hard stuff. I've got news for you this morning. You may say all hell break lo- broke loose, but, but can I just say to you, not all that stuff was the devil. It was God. Because you said, God, I want you to form me. I want you to make me. I want you to mold me. I want you to make me into the image of your son. And Jim says, listen, don't blame the devil all the time. It's God that is at work in you. He is working in you. He is fashioning you. He is remodeling you. He is making you. Jim says, hey, rejoice. (laughs) That's good news. Rejoice. He says, rejoice, it's a sign that God is preparing you for a future that you could never have planned for yourself. That it is that he's leading you on and as you now battle through the storms and as you deal with the difficulties and as you deal with the problems in your marriage, in your finance, as you will not allow the devil to take you the opposite way, you trust God and he brings you through. God is making you into the image of his son and he's developing character in you. You see, going through God's character forming school is not an easy process. It, it, it is not, it's not just going through and, and everything's okay and, and we put a false smile on our face and we make religious quips about God is good and everything's good. no. God is good, but it's not always good for me. (laughs) And it's difficult and it's hard and there are problems and we deal with it and we don't quit and we don't give up and we trust God and God is forming our character. You see, when it is that you allow God to move and to mold your life and you determine deep down in your heart that whatever I'm going through, I'm not quitting. I'm not quitting on this marriage. I'm not quitting on my finance. I'm not quitting on my job. I'm going to hang in on God. I'm going to trust that he's molding me and making me and I'll be better and we'll be better and the finances will be better and everything will work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. So that we are moving on. So that now he molds us to a place that he can trust us. God wants to know that he can trust you. That he can trust you to have right attitudes. That that he can trust you to be consistent in following him and in loving your family and friends and loving those who are around you. He is wanting to see if he can trust you to be faithful and to be a loyal person that's not ready to quit as anything happening. He's wondering if he can trust you not to gossip. He's wondering if he can trust you not to get bitter in the circumstances of life. He is trusting that you won't become a hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who says one thing and does another. A hypocrite is someone who says, I live for God and live like the devil. He wants to know if he can trust you to be fully committed to him and his work. Listen to this scripture very quickly. It's found in 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord 
reigns throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You know what I call this verse? I call this verse the big eyeball in the sky. The eyes of the Lord. He's looking, he's looking in this church this morning and, and, and he's looking to see if there are those. Now, now as Joe said earlier, I, I'm so proud of you being here this morning. It shows your commitment level. Well, it, it shows me that you'll commit to come to church. But, but God's eyes are looking and he is looking for people whose hearts are fully committed to him. And that means, God, I'm fully committed to you whether the things that I'm going through are good or bad. I'm fully committed to you, God, whether it is that I can't see the end of the tunnel. I am fully committed to you, God, even though everything has seemed to have broken loose against me. I am fully committed to you. And he says, you are the people that I'm seeking so that I can help. Those who are fully committed to him. See, God refuses to use people who are unsubmissive to his character form in hand because God is about mission. And you know, we forget this, but the only reason that we're still here is that there are still people that don't know Jesus. And and the fact is that he's on a mission. God is on a mission. And he says, I want to use you. I want to use you to bring others to Jesus. That's why it's so important that others see Jesus in you. That it will be that the character forming hand of God has designed you. It's not a case of you doing. It's a case of you submitting and saying, God, I'm trusting you through all this. I'm trusting and I will not quit. I'm trusting and I will not quit because I know that you are forming me. Me so that I can be used in your mission to reach other people. So how many know that although this book of James was written centuries ago, it's wonderfully up to date. And um, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about and what I'm saying We use the analogy of getting fit. We use the analogy of exercise. And you know what I'm on about when I talk about that you can be living an unfit Christian life. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. You are a Christian. But you're not fit. And the developing, molding hand of God is not allowed to have his way in your life. You've not totally surrendered that to him so that he can now mold you and make you. You, you see, it, it is that there are many people who commit to come into church on Sunday, but the fact is they don't allow God to mold them every other day. That, that it is that there are people who have become bitter and not better. There are people who have allowed the circumstances of life to make them more unchristian than Christian. They have allowed the circumstances of life to overwhelm them to the, to the point where they're no longer trusting God. They attend church, they've got religion, but they're no longer trusting God that he's got their best interests at heart. Because when you know that he's got your best interests at heart, whatever you go through, whatever you're facing... You know that God's for you, he's not against you, and he's got your best interest at heart. And that in the end, you will look back 
Did you see it earlier when I asked those older Christians here, how many have gone through stuff and you look back and you say, God changed my character and although it was hard, it was, it was so wonderful, the hand of God working in my life. You know, you may be here this morning and you're angry because of the way that God's form in your life. You can be here this morning and you are here and you say, you know, all that's going on in my life, all that I'm facing, all that I'm going through, I I didn't think this would happen after becoming a Christian. But God is speaking to you this morning. He says, listen, I want to take that anger out. And I want you to understand that I know best. <laughs> and I know what I'm doing. And, all, and, and the fact is, huh, I, I found the more that I struggle against the hand of God, the worse it gets. And the fact is, the more I surrender to his life-forming, changing hand, when I say it's your sovereign will that I want in my life, I want to do your will on earth as it's done in heaven. It is that the more I give over to his will, the more I am seeing that God is developing character in me. Maybe here this morning, right in the middle of some circumstance, And God wanted you to hear this, whether you're listening here or listening online, because God wants you to know I'm developing character in you. What you think is the devil's hand is my hand, says God, developing character in you. I'm working on the inside of you to make you and to mold you. And all I want you to do is to allow me to mold you into the image of my son. I want you to rejoice although it's hard. I want you to be in the place where you glorify me even if it's through your tears and say you're developing character in me. You're making me into the image of your son. You wanted to deal with the hurts of your life and the, and the difficulties of your life over these past weeks because he's making you into the image of his son and he says I want you to surrender totally to my will so that I can make you who I want you to be. You know what will happen? We will become the church that Jesus died for. We will not have James saying, you become less than my brother died for. He will say, you become the church that my brother died for. So this morning, I want to close by asking you to surrender to the Lord. Whether you stand where you are or whether you come and kneel again at the altar or come to the altar, maybe the first time and you say, use my heart, Lord. In fact, I've asked Justin to sing this song. Here's my heart, Lord. You may have been a Christian a long time, but the question comes, are you still surrendered to the forming hand of God in your life? Uh, Just to encourage you, that forming hand of God doesn't end until you finally get to glory. (laughs) We're always being made better as we get nearer. We're going from glory to glory to glory. 
I heard someone say this this week. You've got to go through the gory before you can get to the glory. <laughs> and the fact is that you go through stuff in order to be who God wants you to be. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering, even in this crowd this morning, where are those who are saying, here's my heart, Lord. If that's you, as, as Justin sings, you can either stand or come to the altar and um, I'll pray with you before we're out of here. You can make your way home through the snow. Amen. Thanks.